Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday, 11th of April. I'm Jenny Tansy and reading with me tonight are Sue Perry, Hannah Green, Kate Hudman, Nigel Green is our engineer, Carol Hartle is working on the administration and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Body Tipped Off Trolley, Sorry Hugo, My Girlfriend Was Beautiful Inside and Out, I'll Keep Fighting for Sam, Drugs Gang Jailed, and Top Leukemia Doctors Cancer Shock. Just to remind the listeners that the obituaries will be read after the final music at the end of the recording. And so we will start with the first headlines and pass you over to Sue. And and this article is from Friday, April the 5th. Body tipped off trolley. A dead patient's body was damaged at the city's hospital after the trolley it was on tipped over, according to health chiefs. Worcestershire Royal Hospital said the blunder was caused by human error and it has apologised to the family of the patient. The Human Tissue Authority, HTA, which oversees the treatment of bodies, revealed the serious incident in a Freedom of Information request response. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, which runs the city's hospital, said, The incident took place last year and involved a trolley transporting a deceased patient to the mortuary, briefly tipping over. Only very minor damage was caused to the body. However, any damage as a result of a human error is regrettable and something we take very seriously. For this reason, we fully investigated the incident and ensured the guidelines around the number of porters required to transfer deceased patients to the mortuary was updated. The HTA has indicated it is satisfied the lessons learned from this incident have been used to improve safety during the transportation of deceased patients in our hospitals. A spokesman for the HTA said, Hospitals are required to tell the regulator about serious incidents or near misses within five days of them being discovered. (coughs) The spokesman added, When this happens, we work with the establishment to ensure that they put measures in place to decrease the likelihood of this happening again. The Trust undertook an investigation into the matter and following this investigation, the HTA was satisfied that action was taken to look into the matter and that lessons had been learned. (coughs) The case has now been closed. The HTA revealed the incident, which took place in August, in its response to a Freedom of Information request in January. An employee at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, who wanted to remain anonymous, said the standard practice is for two porters to transport a deceased patient to the mortuary. They said the porters put the body on a bed, cover them and then push them down the hospital's corridors. The staff member added that the porters take the body down in a lift 
and then winch it into a van which they drive to the mortuary. The source believes there should be some type of tunnel from the hospital to the mortuary to show respect for the dead patients. And on Saturday, April the 6th, the headline was Sorry, Hugo. A worker at a homeless charity sent an email joking about dismembering a campaigner for rough sleepers, we can reveal. Mag's Day Centre in Deansway, Worcester, has apologised to campaigner Hugo Sugg for any upset or distress caused by the email. We previously reported the dismembering email came to light after Mr Sugg submitted a subject access request to the City Council under General Data Protection Regulation laws. In an apology email to Mr Sugg, Mel Akers, chair of MAG's Day Centre, said, Dear Hugo, we apologise that the email caused you upset or distress. I have spoken to the person to discuss their future conduct in relation to the content of emails. They have assured me that they would never wish to cause you any harm. We again apologise that the email caused you upset or distress. Mr Sugg, who campaigns on behalf of Rough Sleepers, said he was outraged by the original email which joked about using his body parts in a Halloween advent calendar. The message, which was sent on October 18, 2017, stated, Please note it is a requirement of this advent calendar that actual Hugo body parts are used. Last day of the month is Halloween, so it has to fit in with a theme. Then the last door, we get his head on a plate. Reacting to Mr Aker's apology, Mr Sugg said, I welcome it, but it calls into question the professionalism of the person who sent the email. Something needs to be done about it apart from an apology. I'm pretty disgusted. Someone who works with homeless people saying horrible things about someone who also works with the homeless. I know I am a pain in the backside, but all I'm trying to do is get the best for people who have nothing or very little. I don't know what other messages have been sent about me to other people. If an example is set over this, it might stop people being so disgusting over emails about me or other people they have disagreements with. The campaigner believes that someone who works for Mag's Day Centre sent the email to an officer at Worcester City Council. Mr Sugg started his campaign for the homeless after the death of Worcester Rough sleeper Carden Banfield in 2016. He repeatedly called for an investigation into the rough sleepers case and the City Council eventually published an independent review in 2018. However, Mr Sugg argued that this did not go far enough and demanded a safeguarding adults review to understand the reasons behind Mr Banfield's death. Mag's Day Centre was unavailable for comment and Worcester City Council declined to comment. The headline for Monday, April the 8th. My girlfriend was beautiful inside and out. Boyfriend's emotional tribute to woman killed in M5 crash. A grieving boyfriend has paid tribute to his kind and loving girlfriend after she was killed in a crash on the M5. 
Serena Georgie, who was 24 and lived in Worcester, died on Wednesday morning when her Peugeot collided with a Land Rover on the northbound carriageway near Junction 5, Droitwich. An off-duty paramedic and passers-by fought to save her, but she died at the scene. Her boyfriend, Christian Michulasiak, who is from Romania, is like Serena, like Serena, described her as beautiful inside and out. The 23-year-old who lives in Worcester said, We are all devastated by this tragic event and we cannot believe this could ever happen to her. She was such an innocent, kind and loving human being. She would always do, do things for us without expecting anything in return. Her passion was baking and decorating handcrafted elegant desserts and gifts. She was beautiful, inside out, and always used to put passion into everything she was doing. We would like to thank everyone for all the support we had, especially to the assigned officer who looked after her, us, who was very professional, kind and supportive. She will never be forgotten, and we want everyone to remember her as the cheerful, happy and loving person that she was. Christian and Serena met in the UK and had been together for almost three years and two months. Serena lived in Newport Street, Worcester, with her mother, Julia Animari, and worked for a company which manufactures parts for Jaguar vehicles in Aston, Birmingham. Serena also had her own handmade desserts business, Sweet Gifts, which she was pas passionate about. She will be buried in Romania, with Christian telling the Worcester News, we have sorted for her to be taken by plane, likely on Wednesday. I have received hundreds of messages from her friends from Romania who want to see her for one last time. The crash took place at around 5.40am on April the 3rd and as a result the M5 northbound was closed between Junction 5 and Junction 4A M42 for six hours. Two men who were in the Land Rover were not injured. Police had to turn drivers around on the M5 to allow them to exit and also close Junction 6 so that the traffic could be released. There were 10-mile tailbacks until midday with some drivers trapped for five hours and other drivers on the A449 near Junction 6 unable to move for more than three hours. Chief Superintendent Tom Harding said, As the public would expect in such tragic cases, a thorough investigation has been launched to establish the circumstances behind the collision and our thoughts are with the families involved at this difficult time. Inquiries are currently ongoing and we would encourage anyone who saw the collision or has dashcam footage of the moments leading up to it should come forward. We would like to thank everyone, especially the local community, for their support and their understanding. Anyone with information is asked to call 101, quoting Incident 40S of April the 3rd. The headline for Tuesday, April the 9th. I'll keep fighting for Sam. A mum whose little boy has terminal cancer says she's overwhelmed by the support from people who have raised money to help her family. Jill Herdman's son, Sam Holmes, suffers from osteosarcoma, a type of bone cancer that doctors recently told the family that nothing more could be done for the boy. Writing on the Facebook group, Sam's journey to fight osteosarcoma, Miss Hardman said, It's with a heavy heart that I write this. 
At the Royal Orthopaedic Hospital, we found out that the osteosarcoma has returned in Sam's leg, from Sam's knee to his groin. His leg is riddled with osteosarcoma. I have spoken to Sam's oncologist and he feels that now palliative care is our only option. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to tell my beloved son that he will die of this disease. But Miss Herdman, 42, has vowed to continue fighting, saying this week that the hospital has now scanned Sam's leg to see if it's possible to operate. Speaking to the Worcester News, Miss Herdman said, The family was now waiting on those test results. Everybody is rooting for him, she said. My only focus has been trying to find another answer. I'm going to keep on fighting for him. Everybody wants to help. They want to do something for Sam. But there's no miracle cure. Chemotherapy doesn't work. Children with osteosarcoma go through hell and back. Miss Herdman said Sam was a typical 11-year-old boy who loves playing on his Xbox and quad biking. We set up the Facebook page as it was Sam's idea to share his story, she said. He owns his illness. He wanted to help other children and parents that are going through it, suffering from osteosarcoma. Miss Herdman of Blackpool Road, Worcester, said the family was staying positive, which was helped by seeing people rallying behind them, particularly through fundraising. In February, fundraising events included a tractor run, a pub crawl, and fun fight sorry, fun night raising eleven thousand pounds. While family friend Christy Werner has organized a parachute jump to support the family, within a week smashing her fundraising total of a thousand pounds, with the money going to give Sam the best day the family can have to remember. Miss Herdman said that as they have family in Australia, the goal had always been to take Sam there. She added that the family wanted to thank the doctors and nurses at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on the oncology paediatric team. They are amazing. They go above and beyond. I can't praise them enough, the mum of two said. To donate to the parachute jump, visit justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash Kirsty Dash Werner. Miss Herdman also invites people to donate to the Bone Cancer Research Trust via bert.org.uk. And this is some um, from Wednesday, April the 10th Drugs Gang Jailed. Drugs conspirators who trafficked up to £73,000 of heroin and cocaine into Malvern are behind bars after dealing to undercover police officers. Gang commander Nicholas Ward, his right-hand man Alexander Savkux and runners Anthony Clark, John Kettle and Adrian Tipping were all jailed for conspiracy to supply Class A drugs. The conspiracy lasted between November 1st 2016 and March 31st 2018. Analysis of mobile phones indicated that the lower estimate for the value of the drugs sold during this period was 44,880. That's 0.31 kilograms of Class A drugs and the upper estimate was £72,390, a weight of just over half a kilo. 
However, recorder Justin Wigouda, sentencing, said, even this upper estimate was likely to be an underestimate of the quantities of drugs involved. Around 80 messages were sent out to users on days when dealing was taking place in Malvern. It was estimated that the dealers sold drugs five and a half days per week during the five-month period. This involved selling between 3.74 grams and 4.76 grams of Class A drugs per day, making the dealers between £405 and £506 each time. The operation was foiled after the gang was infiltrated by undercover officers as part of Operation Ballet, run by the Regional Organised Crime Unit, as police were deployed in Malvern under the guise of being leaflet distributors. Mr White said 77 other defendants were making their way through the court system as part of work to tackle county lines drug dealing in Worcestershire and Herefordshire. Daniel White, prosecuting, said Ward operated what was known in Malvern as the Nathan Line over a period of 101 days as part of a county lines drug dealing operation. It was being run from an unregistered prepaid mobile phone, one of which was recovered from a polo registered towards partner on March 12, 2018, after he had fled from police. Mr White said that dealers retained the phone numbers of known users so that if one phone was seized, they would have the numbers stored elsewhere. Advertising messages were sent out to known addicts with words like, Fire on! to indicate that drugs were available. Undercover officers known by the pseudonyms Ian, Kyle and Mike infiltrated the gang which was being run by Birmingham-based Ward, a father of four. In total, the gang dealt drugs to the undercover officers on ten separate occasions and sometimes were covertly recorded doing so. Mr Ward is the principal defendant within the investigation He's in command of this entire conspiracy, said Mr White, who went on to describe Savkux as his right-hand man. Tipping was described as a driver involved in six of the ten supplies to undercover officers. Using his Renault Captor and Kettle was also a runner. Former paratrooper Clark was only involved on one occasion, claiming he only did it to pay off a £30 drug debt to Ward. When the officer made contact with the Nathan line, Ward tried to vet him to see how the number had been obtained, which Mr White said showed he was tactically aware. However, an addict known as Denise vouched for him, and an officer went on to make a series of purchases of Class A drugs, including outside the Morgan Garage in Malvern, Belmont Road, Spring Lane, Victoria Park and the post office in Court Road. Officers swooped on March the 12th last year when the polo linked to Ward failed to stop in Worcester. Mr White described the polo as being driven in a dangerous manner to escape capture. A black man believed to be Ward and a white man who was not identified was seen leaving the car in Batsford Road, Worcester. Inside the car was found the main Nathan Line phone. Ward was arrested around three and a half hours later in St Peter's, Worcester, described by officers as being muddy and wet. Ward was arrested a second time on July 20th last year with an iPhone and a flick knife. 
He was convicted of dealing Class A drugs in October 2009, receiving a suspended sentence. Ward was convicted again on December 8, 2014, and jailed for 24 months after he was found with 11 wraps of heroin clenched in his left hand in Goodwood Road, Malvern. Mr White described how Ward violently resisted the officer and had to be sprayed with paver spray and handcuffed. As it was Ward's third conviction for dealing Class A drugs, known as a third striker, making him subject to a minimum sentence of seven years in jail. At Worcester Crown Court yesterday, Recorder Wigoda jailed Ward of City Road, Birmingham for nine years and disqualified him from driving for an extended period of five years. Sav Cooks, aged 19, of Walsall Road, West Bromwich, was sentenced to 46 months' detention in a young offender institution. The judge took into account his relative youth and lack of previous convictions. Clark, aged 53, of Langland Avenue, Malvern, was jailed for three years. Clark was on licence at the time after receiving a five-year sentence for four offences of being um, concerned in the supply of heroin and cocaine in 2013. The judge said it was a serious, aggravating feature that he was dealing while on licence for a similar offence. Kettle, aged 55, of Randwick Drive, Warnden, Worcester, was jailed for three years. His sentence reduced to reflect his serious medical conditions, including emphysema and pulmonary fibrosis, which means he is not likely to live more than three to five years. Tipping, aged 61, of Berryfield's estate Cradley, near Malvern, was jailed for three years and six months. The judge took into consideration that he had not been in trouble since 1986, but said he had been the driver and was involved in six of the ten deals to undercover police. Recorder Wigoda also took into account that Tipping was a carer for his 83-year-old mother in Worcester, who is blind. And tonight's headline, Thursday, April 11th, was Top Leukemia Doctor's Cancer Shock. A top consultant was shocked to be diagnosed with the same cancer he has treated in patients for years. Dr. Salim Shafiq was midway through a clinic when he received the devastating news that what he initially thought was a pulled muscle was incurable blood cancer. The Worcestershire Royal Hospital consultant is now undergoing the same treatment he usually advises for others and says he's battling worrying thoughts because of his illness and his knowledge of his illness. He says he's trying to heed the advice he usually gives his patients to remain positive. Dr. Shafi, clinical director of hematology and oncology, said... Having had back pain in the lower chest region since after Christmas, I initially thought it'd be a pulled muscle from exercise in the gym. I never thought it would turn out to be such a serious condition. The consultant, who has worked at the hospital for 17 years, was told he was suffering from myeloma, a cancer that affects the plasma cells shortly after having a scan. 
He said, immediately after the MRI scan, I had to see 18 patients on my own, which included many myeloma patients, old and new. During my clinic, the radiologist rang me and gave me the bad news, and I had to continue my clinic as there was no one to take over the patients, and that was an extremely difficult situation for me. Dr. Shafiq said he was relieved his cancer was one that was highly treatable, but added, knowing so much about the condition, it was very difficult to control my thought processes. I've seen well patients and serious side effects over the years. We've had excellent responses in low-risk and standard-risk myeloma. I've also had some really difficult cases with very poor life expectancy. All these flashbacks kept me worrying, and so I was not mentioning it to anyone, including my family, and I put on a brave face. Dr. Shafiq has been treated at Birmingham's Queen Elizabeth Hospital since his diagnosis in January and has so far had an excellent response. He has returned to work in a management role to avoid the risk of infection and now his hospital colleagues and former patients have rallied to support him with a fundraising walk on the Malvern Hills. They will walk eight miles for charity Cure Leukemia, a charity that Dr. Shafiq has worked closely with during his career. Nurses who work alongside Dr. Shafiq on the hospital's Rowan Suite for hematology and oncology said it was an immense shock to hear of Dr. Shafiq's diagnosis. He has dedicated so much of his life to looking after patients with blood cancer. He is facing his treatment with strength and dignity and we admire him enormously. Former patient Jenna Ostrovsky, 35, received her leukemia diagnosis from Dr. Shafiq in 2017. She said it is hard to believe that someone who has helped so many people overcome blood cancer can suddenly be in this position themselves. Dr. Shafiq said, Cure Leukemia has been closely involved with us in Worcester for years, funding our trials nursing team and helping us to put patients into clinical trials. He added, it is so touching that my colleagues are doing this walk in support of me and for a fantastic charity. The support from my family, colleagues, friends, former patients and the general public has been overwhelming and I'm immensely grateful. The group's target is £1,000 and anyone is welcome to join them on the Rowan Ramble, which takes place on May 25th. To donate or take part, visit just visit, sorry, justgiving.com forward slash company hyphen teams forward slash Rowan Ramble. And now some more items you may be interested in. A plan to allow more people to move into new homes on a controversial housing estate before important roadworks are completed was narrowly backed by council planners. Two planning applications submitted by Persimmon and Redrow looked to change a number of planned routes 
route road improvements as part of a major 765 home development off Pulley Lane in Droitwich to to allow for up to 364 homes to be moved in. Witchhaven District Council planners had approved the major homes plan under the instruction that nobody could move into any of the homes before a number of road improvements had been carried out. The council and the developer had already signed an agreement which allowed for 90 homes to be moved into, but that number has already been passed. Almost 40% of the homes are already occupied, with people living in 105 homes on the Red Row and Taylor Wimpy part of the site, while 188 are occupied on the Persimmon site. Highways admitted Pulley Lane was not ideal, but had no safety concerns about any of the planned road improvements and raised no objection. Councillor Richard Morris, who represents Droitwich West, said the developers have failed to put in place the necessary highways infrastructure to support the new housing. The district and county councils have had to resort to legal action to try and ensure the planning agreements with regards to infrastructure have been put in place. At a meeting of Witchhaven District Council's planning committee on Thursday, April 4th, Councillor Morris said disturbance from traffic and congestion would be immense, particularly on the A38 with the M5 set to last for a further nine months and would like to see the roadworks finished before more homes were built. Councillor Tony Miller, who did not support the plan, asked why the work on the A38 could not have been carried out when it was closed last year. He said, I think the developers have let us down badly. The amount of interruptions to the roads and the main A38 is totally unacceptable. If the developer hasn't followed the guidelines that we put on the developer already, we can be... We can, how can we make sure that they are going to do that? I don't think they will. The developer sees us as a small council and just do what they want to do and it is really not good enough. Speaking about the changes to the persimmon side of the development, Councillor Miller said, how many times do we need to ask the developer to do what we have asked them to do? You look at the numbers of homes allowed to be occupied and you may as well just put it, in, put it at a thousand and say carry on. The planning committee refused to approve the Persimmon application on the first vote but eventually approved it by eight votes to two with three abstentions. The changes to the Red Road plan were eventually approved with committee chairman councillor David Wilkinson casting the deciding vote after planners were split by six votes to six. A new Edward Elgar theme bus route will run from the city centre and serve Warnden via Brickfields, Blackpool and Tetbury Drive. First Bus's new route is named Nimrod after the composer's famous piece and consists of five buses which have been given fully refurbished interiors, including flooring, seating and charging points. First Bus Group partnered with the Elgar School of Music and The Furs, the composer's home and now a museum for the bus launch. The school performed three 40-minute sets of Elgar's music composed of piano, strings and vocal outside the Guildhall on Friday. Worcester MP Robin Walker, speaking at the Guildhall, said he hoped the new scheme would encourage people to use the bus. 
He said, I really hope it will encourage more of my constituents to use the bus, which of course is more environmentally friendly than driving and will help to make sure that we get more regular bus services in Worcester, which I know is a priority because I hear from many constituents about how they want more regular bus services and more bus service running in the evening. He went on to say the key is you need people on the buses to make that work, and I think this smart new fleet will encourage more people to use them. In addition to this refurbishment, the whole fleet of buses are being retrofitted with more eco-friendly engines to help improve air quality in the city. Managing Director for First in the Midlands, Nigel Eggleton, said the Salt Road vehicles are already done and we're working through the fleet now to get them up to the highest possible standards of emission. We're over halfway through the fleet now, he he added. Mr Walker says the new bus route comes alongside several other transport improvements within and without the city boundaries. He highlights work sorry, he highlighted works at Shrub Hill Station, Worcester Fourgate Street Station and the creation of Worcestershire Parkways, as well as a project dual for Southern Link, which will help connect the M five to the west of Worcestershire and Herefordshire and provide a bypass to Worcester City Centre. A riverside bench has been put in place in memory of city student Tom Jones, whose body was found in the River Severn last year. Located on Grand Stand Road between Sabrina Bridge and the Worcester Rowing Club, the new bench was placed by the City Council at the request of the 18-year-old's family. Tom's parents, Vicky and Ian Jones, as well as Sister Ellie, were met by David Blake, City Council Managing Director, on Wednesday to officially unveil the bench. Also present were Council Operations Supervisor Mark Bayliss and Green Space Team Supervisor Mark Worrell. A plaque on the bench is inscribed with the following wording. With so much love, we remember Thomas Jones, Jonah tragically taken from us on the 19th of September 2018, age 18. A wonderful son and big brother, Tom will be missed by all who knew and loved him. Fly high with the angels, top man, until we are all together again, as you were, TJ. Vicky and Ian said the tragedy devastated us, but said they hoped the bench would bring them comfort. In a statement to the press and public, they said, Our heartfelt, sincere thanks go to David Blake, Mark Worrell and Mark Bayliss and all at Worcester City Council for the time you gave us today and for the wonderful bench you have so very kindly presented to us in Thomas's memory. Tom's bench means the world to us and we cannot express in words the comfort it will bring in the weeks and months and years to come to ourselves, our family and Tom's friends. A special place we can visit to reflect and remember our lovely Tom. We know he would have been so happy studying in Worcester. These last few months have devastated us as a family However, we have been truly overwhelmed by the love, support and care we have received from everyone in the Worcester community. You are a very special you are very special to us and we will never ever forget your kindness. Thank you very much. 
An unpopular zebra crossing has been removed and will be replaced by traffic lights. Previously dubbed Worcester's most hated crossing by city residents, the Croft Road zebra crossing sees around 2,000 pedestrians and 200 cyclists use it daily. The work, which began yesterday, is part of a county council scheme to tackle congestion on the troublesome road. The project was made possible by a 3.2 million grant from the Department of Transport and will also see a roundabout removed and improvements to roads into the cattle market car park. Shannon Parry, a City University student, praised the work and agreed that the crossing situated between the hive and the racecourse was dangerous. A lot of people in their cars didn't really stop. I have seen a few primary school children trying to cross, she said. One of their teachers was crossing and the car just went straight across without stopping. Obviously, the children were about to follow the teacher, so it was very dangerous. However, she thought the planned toucan crossing may cause tailbacks into the city centre and making traffic worse. Rob Atkinson, 35, from Warnden, said he supported the change but felt it may not make much difference. The problem is some people just don't stop for the lights either. That that being said, as long as it's a bit safer to cross for pedestrians, I'll support it. He went on to say he drives a Vespa bike regularly through the city and in comparison to other places the traffic is a problem. I visit a lot of places and I hate Worcester for driving. Everywhere you go, it's bottleneck after bottleneck. Chris Robery, 62, an adult carer from Worcester, said, I have, in, I have lived in Worcester all my life and there just is more and more traffic. They are cutting all the buses. That's the real issue. That will reduce congestion. There used to be a bus every 15 minutes. Throughout the work, access to Cattle Market Car Park from Croft Road will be closed and motorists have been told to use the car park entrance in the butts. Temporary traffic lights are in place in Croft Road during the first part of the roundabout work. An 85-year-old man from Kidderminster has spent three years building a four-foot replica of the Titanic based on sketches he made from the 1997 film. Lifelong Meccano enthusiast Bill Gardner, who grew up in Kidderminster and now lives in Stone, worked on the sculpture for eight hours each week using more than 1,000 pieces. At 18 inches high and featuring corridors, cranes, a ballroom and lifeboats, the structure is Bill's largest piece to date. Bill, a retired post office worker, said, The Titanic has taken me three years to build. I never thought I'd get it done. We have the film Titanic on the recorder, so I say to my wife Anne, <clears throat> Excuse me. I need to pinch the telly for a bit and I'd find the part of the ship I wanted to work on and sketch it. I also had the blueprints from a book I bought from Morrison's, but it came up with the plan but I came up with the plans myself. Bill has since been building Meccano models and has been doing so since the age of seven after receiving a set from his dad and was one of the first members of the Telford and Ironbridge Meccano Society. 
Over the years, Bill has created hundreds of sculptures, ranging from trains to robots, and even has a functioning Meccano grandfather clock in his living room. He said, When I retired in 1988, I didn't want to sit around watching the telly. I wanted to stay active. Meccano keeps my brain active. If I sit down and try to read a book, I fall asleep. But if I do a couple of hours at Meccano, I can go back and read a book again. That's just fine. Bill hopes to sell his Titanic and donate the proceeds to Cancer Research UK after being diagnosed with prostate cancer three years ago. It has cost me about £600 to build, including parts, he said. So I thought if someone can buy it from me for around £1,000, I can donate the money to prostate cancer research. The charity has helped me for four years. Anyone interested in purchasing the replica can call Bill on 01562 741206. More than £30,000 has been raised at the annual Big Worcester Sleepout. Some 117 people turned out to sleep at Worcester Six Ways Stadium in sleeping bags and wrapped up warm against the cold last week to raise money for the three local charities. The event last Thursday included a barbecue donated by AC Events, catering and a friendly touch rugby game between Warriors' homeless rugby team and a team assembled by former player Nick Baxter. Breakfast was provided by the Rapid Relief team. At 11pm, the stadium went into lockdown and the doors remained closed until 6am the following morning. Felicity James, Skills Development and Community Engagement Manager at St Paul's Hostel said, The Big Worcester Sleepout was organised by St Paul's Hostel the Warriors Community Foundation and Mag's Day Centre to raise money for the three charities and awareness of homelessness in Worcester. 117 people spent the night sleeping out at the Worcester Warrior Stadium and so far have raised £34,000. We've been amazed at the support we've had for the event. We're really grateful to everyone that took part. It was horrible weather, but spirits remained high and it's because of them that this fantastic amount of money has been raised. We're already making plans for next year and we'll share those details in the next couple of weeks. Taking part in the big sleepout was City Councillor Lynn Denman, who said, I was definitely an interesting it, it definitely it was definitely an interesting experience sleeping out in the cold. We were in the South Stand at the rugby club, so we were sheltered a bit from the cold. But sleeping in a cold and on the hot and on a hard surface really makes you appreciate having a warm bed to go home to. What it did was really open my eyes into the practicalities involved with sleeping rough, such as wrapping up in so many layers and simple things like brushing your teeth and going to the toilet. There was a wonderful camaraderie between everyone involved, and it was a really sociable evening. But this is not the case for so many homeless people who are alone and abandoned. At this stage, more than £34,000 has been raised to support the homeless in Worcester, with St Paul's Hospice hoping for more donations to take them closer to £40,000. A long-standing Tory councillor has criticised UKIP's attempts to take a parish council by force, causing the first election in its history. 
alongside the city council election, an election will also be held next month to re-select all nine members of St Peter's Parish Council, with UKIP fielding as many candidates in the hope of forming a stronghold. Parish councillors serve for four-year terms, but if the seats aren't then contested, they will retain them by default, while any odd vacancies will be filled by co-option. However, with four councillors stepping aside and 15 candidates, six of which are independents, putting their names forward, St Peter's will have its first ever election on May the 2nd. Councillor Roger Knight, who represents St Peter's Ward on the City Council and is also a current member of the Parish Council, said the move is unexpected and certainly unwelcome. Quite why nine UKIP members would want to take over St Peter's Parish Council is beyond me, as they are not part of the community, he continued. It's very odd, because the same people are standing in Warndon North and South. If they are trying to politicise parish councils, it's disgraceful. I firmly believe the parish council is about community, not about politics. It's unsavoury. We reported yesterday how all city UKIP candidates had taken up the option to withhold their home addresses from the public over fear of far-left extremism. Councillor Knight worries that voters won't realise that none of the UKIP candidates actually live in St Peter's. Chris Roberts, Worcester UKIP General Secretary, said, It's party policy. It's the same party policy as the Conservatives and Labour to have representation in every single seat available. We want people to realise that the country is not a two-party country anymore. If new candidates don't come forward, the same old people are co-opted in by default and will continue for many years. And the next piece is the Mayor's Column, and that's currently Jabba Riaz. I was interviewed by Ruby Edwards of the Worcestershire Lifestyle magazine about my year in office, and as I sat in the Mayor's Parlour contemplating the wonderful events that had taken place in the year, it began to dawn on me that I was only six weeks away from the official handover to the new mayor. On Tuesday evening, I hosted the Lions Club Award Ceremony at the Guild Hall. Having done several Lions Club's events over the civic year, I've become familiar with the professionalism and dignity with which the Lions conduct their business. Locally, in Worcester, they raise a modest amount for charity and local causes. But crucially, they support little-known organisations and groups with their community work too. We heard from six charities which are benefiting from the Lions Awards, two of which are causes close to my heart. The Friends of Fort Royal, a small community group headed by Councillor Lynn Denham, were awarded a cheque to carry on supporting the wonderful events that take place in the park all year round. The second is Worcester Amateur Boxing Club. Being a child of the 70s when boxing was at its peak, the heavyweight greats of the time and previous era left a lasting impact. My friends and I joined the Worcester Amateur Boxing Club and it provided us with a sense of belonging and a means to channel our energy. Our coach, Mike Underwood, 
Mick Underwood, sorry, instilled in us a sense of discipline and routine that has stayed with me till this day. He taught us about respect, focus and pride, as well as how to do a press-up or two, which I demonstrated to anyone who cared to watch. I am grateful to Mick for being a part of my upbringing. It is this type of work in the community that can make a real difference to someone's life. A major plan to build a new £600,000 community hall in Pershaw was finally approved after months of delays. Pershaw Town Council finally had its plan approved to build a new hall on land next to Pershaw Cemetery off Defford Road to accommodate the town's growing population. The plan was twice deferred by Witchhaven District Council's planning committee. The Town Council had said Pershaw needed a new venue that could accommodate more than 100 people, particularly for wedding receptions, because existing spaces were already well used and availability had become extremely limited. At a meeting of Witchhaven District Council's planning committee on Thursday, April 4th, some of Pershaw's district councillors remained opposed to the plan. Councillor Val Wood said the new village hall was not fully supported by Pershaw and it was wrong for the town council to, to claim it was. She was astounded highways officers had not found any safety issues with the busy Defford Road, particularly with more people due to use the road because of the new hall. Councillor Tony Rowley said he supported the building but disagreed with it being the best location and was outside the development boundary. Councillor Rowley said it was a significant reason why the planning committee could use to that, that they could use to reject the plan. Councillor Rob Adams said, "You've had two bites of the cherry at this and deferred it twice. It's time to swallow the damn cherry and make a decision. You can't do anything but approve this. It's going to be a lovely little hall. I don't sus subscribe that it's out of the town centre." Councillor Richard Lasota said the hall was in the wrong location but it was the only offer on the table and the committee had no choice but to approve it. And now we're going to have um, a few sports items and the first one is um, to do with the Warriors um, rugby team. There are doubts over the fitness of a number of Worcester Warriors stars ahead of Saturday's clash with Sales Sharks at Six Ways at 3pm. Wingers Josh Adams, leg, and Bryce Heem, foot, locks Michael Fatiaflufa, back, Anton Bresler, calf, and Pierce Phillips, head, and fly-half Jono Lance, head, all face a race to be fit for the Gallagher Premiership match. Front row duo Nick Chonnert, sorry, who has a bad back, and Jack Singleton, a bad elbow, are expected to return, and boss Alan Solomons is optimistic over the availability of Adams and Heem. But he insists things will only crystallise later in the week as second from bottom warriors prepare for the first of their final four games of the season. It wasn't great last week, said Solomons, who was hit by several injuries ahead of last weekend's 28-16 defeat at Wasps. 
We like to pride ourselves on the depth of our squad, but particularly at the end of an attritional season, you are going to have injuries. We did lose a lot of players last week, and some of them at a late stage. Nick is looking fine, having taken part in practice on Tuesday, so I am optimistic about him. And Jack has been in training as well, so that is another positive. But there are one or two others that we are still waiting to see. Michael didn't take part on Tuesday, so we'll have to wait and see how things travel with him, but we are optimistic about Bryce. Bresler and Adams were forced off through injury against Wasps, and Solomons is set to make a late call on the pair for the sale clash. We will assess Anton on Thursday and see how he is travelling, Solomon said. Josh is another one of those we have got to look at. I am pretty positive about him, but we'll have to wait and see. Things will only crystallise later in the week. Solomons is also hopeful Phillips and Lance, who have been recovering from knocks to the head, will be in the mix for selection. Jono was cleared to practice on Tuesday, so we have got to see how he comes out of that, he said. His situation is slightly different to the others, as it was a head injury, but we have got to have a, a good look at him. I'm hoping Pierce will come through the uh, return-to-play protocol, but we have got to see as the week drags on. First-choice hooker, Singleton, is poised to make his first outing since injuring his elbow in last month's loss at Newcastle Falcons. Warriors Pack is set to be boosted by the return of tight head prop Shonert, who was ruled out at Wasps with a back problem. Nick and Jack will definitely play, Solomons added. Every side is going to pick up injuries. There are more fortunate, though those more fortunate than others, and it depends when you pick them up. Last week wasn't ideal as we lost Michael the day before the game, Nick on the day, and Bryce earlier on in the week. We have also got other players out like GJ, Van Veltz, but that's rugby. We are in week 44 of the season, so you can expect these things to happen. Captain Van Vels is set to be back for the final three fixtures of the season. He has been out for almost two months after fracturing his arm in the defeat at Harlequins in mid-February. The number eight damaged a plate in his right forearm at the stoop and had surgery to repair the, the tissue. He is back in training and Solomons reckons the influential forward will be available for the home league clash with Gloucester on April the 28th. There is hope fly-half Jamie Shilcock, quad, whose season has been hampered by injuries, could be back before the end of the campaign, which concludes next month. But centres Ashley Beck um, with a leg injury and Ollie Lawrence with an ankle injury, back rower Alafoti Fossilva, a knee, and prop Ryan Bauer, an Achilles, are unlikely to play again this term. Ashley has been training, but I don't think he'll play this season, to be honest, Solomon said. I think GJ will be available to play. Ollie has just had his operation, but there is no chance for him. I don't think any of the long-term guys will be back before the end of the season, other than Shilly and certainly GJ. After this block, GJ should be good to go. He has been training hard. And more sports on Rugby Union this time. Worcester cut loose at Weston's Fields with an 11-try, 67-14 thrashing of Moseley Oak in the penultimate game of the Midlands 1 West season. 
Dave Serafini struck four times and Chris Griffiths and Sam Harper both crossed twice as the hosts piled more misery on already relegated Oak. There were also tries from Ollie Meadows, Sam Fitch and Martin de Torres to leave head coach Tim Pickard purring. We have just allowed the boys to play what is in front of us as there's no point dictating where and when they should be attacking, Picard said. It is all well and good putting things in place, but I'm not in the field and can't get the feel for the game the same way the players can. The ball is in their court and they have taken it really well. Since Dave has come back after Christmas, he's been playing really well. He's threatening on the wing and suits the way we play. Sixth-placed Worcester will now look to spoil Champions Bromsgrove's promotion party when they visit Finstall Park on Saturday. It is a local derby and we will tell the boys to go out and enjoy it, Picard added. Meanwhile, Droitwich complete their Midland 1 West season at home to fourth-placed Whitchurch on Saturday. Spa could move up from ninth to eighth with victory depending on Old Halesonians' results at relegated Malvern. Droitwich moved 15 points clear of Sutton Coldfield in 10th after winning 26-24 at their rivals on Saturday. And after going behind to a penalty, Phil Horton's try was converted by Bobby Scott Walker on 12 minutes. Two converted tries made it 17-7 to Sutton at half-time, but Ben Smith, Horton and Scott Walker dived over for Spa early in the second period, with the latter adding the extras twice. Another converted Sutton effort reduced the gap to 26-24, with 20 minutes left, but Droitwich held firm for victory. A depleted Malvern side crashed 62-3 at third-placed Newbold on Avon, with a Rob Cook penalty putting them on the scoreboard. The second from bottom side play their final game of the season on Saturday at home to Old Halesonians. And I have some cricket... Been there, seen it, done it, but still as excited as ever. For Darrell Mitchell, nothing quite replicates the anticipation of pre-season and despite heading towards his 36th birthday this year, it is no different. The ex-skipper produced more county championship runs than any of his colleagues last term, 957, and his mind is on the scoreboard already. You definitely get a buzz at this time of year. You work hard all winter to get yourself in decent shape physically and with the cricket skills, said Mitchell. There are always those nerves going into the first day, but I'm really looking forward to what lies ahead in all formats. I think if you lose that element of excitement and nerves, then it is probably time to pack up, to be honest. I can't wait to get going. You start on no runs, just like everyone else, and you have to prove yourself. I'm excited about the opportunities, love playing cricket and just as importantly love playing here so the buzz is still there and this is something I want to continue doing for a little while yet. As for the collective ambitions, Mitchell did not mince his words. If you are in Division 2, there is only one goal and that is to get out of it, he added. Three go up this year and that gives us an extra opportunity. There is no other option 
there and if we there no other option there and if we play to the best of our ability promotion is attainable it won't be easy there are some very good sides with lancashire coming down and jimmy anderson being available for a good chunk of the year middlesex are a big club sussex have gone close over the past few years and have a particularly good bowling attack so there are some good sides around but if we play like we can we should be right up there with the best of them there is a bit of pressure on us defending the T20 crown if you want to play well because it is a big earner for the club. There are big expectations there. In the 50 over, it is the last Lord's final. It is something I have never experienced in my career, only as part of a squad some years ago. So that would be great for all of the supporters and the players. A Worcester bowel cancer survivor has spoken out to urge anyone concerned with having the disease to just go and get themselves checked. Barbara Moss, who was diagnosed in 2006, was given just three months to live, said, I really thought that was it. I wrote letters to my children to say goodbye. I was resigned to my fate, but I was lucky the treatment worked to shrink my tumour. I have a scar from... 50 staples across my stomach, my battle scar. Helen Mee, spokesman for the charity Bowel Cancer UK, which is running a month-long campaign to raise awareness of the disease, said, the main symptoms of the disease include blood in your stool, a change in bowel habits lasting over two weeks, unexplained tiredness and weight loss. Catching it early enough means it's curable, but ignoring symptoms means it's harder to treat. People need to know. Uh, people need not to be embarrassed about talking to their doctors about their bowels. We don't want people to die from embarrassment. Barbara, aged 63, took early retirement on medical grounds from her teaching post in Worcester, and now she supports the charity as a patient advocate. She has tirelessly been involved in presenting to UK and European gov- Parliament on treatment reform for patients. Barbara has now celebrating her remission from bowel cancer for 10 years and she's looking forward to continuing her work helping others. Barbara said, It's important the patient works with their doctor. The doctor is the expert on the disease, but the patient is the expert on how their body feels. People in the UK who are aged between 60 and 74 are invited for screening at their local surgery. In the UK, 42,000 people are diagnosed with the condition. It's the second biggest cancer killer, with more than 16,000 people dying from the disease each year. But with improved medical techniques and increased awareness, the number has been slowly declining since the 70s. The new chief executive of the county's hospitals wants to trust out of special measures and into a good rating within the next five years. Matthew Hopkins, who was appointed the new Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust in January, said he was optimistic, but it was going to take a three- to five-year journey to get the Trust out of an inadequate rating and into a really good place. Mr Hopkins, who took over from Michelle Mackay, who resigned in December 2018 after less than two years in charge, said he wanted to see the Trust achieve at least a good rating from the Care Quality Commission in that time. He said to really be confident that our improvements are properly embedded and we have a true culture of patient safety does take time. 
speaking at a meeting of Worcestershire County Council's Health and Overview Scrutiny Committee on Tuesday, April 9th, Mr Hopkins said he had been in his last two NHS roles for at least four years, which showed he had a track record of sticking with jobs. He said, having said that, chief executives in the NHS are a little bit like premiership football managers without the payoffs, obviously. There is sometimes a sense of you're only as good as your last game. The trust which runs Worcestershire Hospital has been rated inadequate since December 2015. Mr Hopkins also said he believed the trust would need between £7 and £8 million extra a year before it could clear its backlog and start hitting some of its targets, but was not yet confident of receiving it. The trust is not currently meeting its referral to treatment targets, which expect 99% of patients to be seen within 18 weeks from GP referral to treatment. Councillor Peter Tomlinson said, You have done your homework and order to catch up and reach targets. You have said to the commissioners, we need seven or eight million pounds. Here we have that classic situation. If you don't get that money, you'll get the blame because your targets will not be up to standard and it will be the fault of those you have no control over, the commissioners. Five men involved in an organised crime group which targeted cash machines across the country, including in Malvern and Droitwich, have been jailed. It is believed the group made more than £1 million and caused more than £200,000 worth of damage after they attacked ATMs between June 2017 and September 2018. The group used specialist cutting equipment stolen from fire stations to force entry into stores and attack the cash machines. In the incident in Malvern, the gang attacked a member of the public who witnessed them targeting the store and a police officer had his vehicle rammed as he pursued the men. The jail sentences came after an investigation led by West Mercia Police's Serious and Organised Crime Unit. Detective Chief Chief Inspector Gavin Kinraid said the offenders were part of an organised crime group responsible for a string of ATM attacks across the UK which netted them a considerable amount of cash. The gang were motivated by greed and gave no consideration to the damage and destruction they left behind. These crimes had a huge impact on the local community, with many of the cash machines the group targeted the only source of withdrawing cash for people in the area, some of which haven't been replaced. Not only that, the group were prepared to use violence to commit the offences and stole vital specialist life-saving equipment from fire stations with total disregard to the public. This was a complex and challenging investigation and I would like to congratulate my team for bringing the matter to a successful conclusion. I would also like to thank colleagues at the other police forces who supported our investigation and assisted in collating evidence. The group committed their offences in 10 police force areas including West Mercia. In West Mercia, all Brighton and Newport fire stations were targeted and ATMs attacked in Malvern, Droitwich, Bromsgrove, Ludlow, Whitchurch and Tenbury Wells. 
The men were sentenced at Shrewsbury Crown Court after previously pleading guilty to conspiracy to burgle and converting criminal property and all received prison terms. Michael Solomon Stubbs, 32, of Ashridge Close, Wensfield, has been sentenced to six years, eight months. Noel Anthony Riley, 39, of Witchell Lane, Birmingham, has been sentenced to seven years, six months. Martin Stedman, 24, of Loose Road, Low Hill, Wolverhampton, has been sentenced to seven years, six months. And Mohammed Munir Khan, 31, of Great Hampton Street, Whitmoreens, Wolverhampton has been sentenced to four years, ten months. He also pleaded guilty to possession of criminal property. Marcus Burton, 33, of May Farm Close, Hollywood, Birmingham, has been sentenced to five years, ten months. Serious crime prevention orders were also granted against Stedman, Stubbs, Riley and Burton, and these will place a number of restrictions on the defendants when they are released from prison and are designed to protect the public. And now an MP's view by Robin Walker, the Worcester City MP. To read the newspapers or watch television at the moment, you'd be forgiven for thinking that politicians talk about nothing but Brexit. The impasse in the Commons that has meant a delay to our exit day is a source of huge frustration for MPs, for constituents and for businesses up and down the country that want certainty. When I go door knocking, I sometimes feel I must start by apologising for the behaviour of some colleagues on all sides of the House who have made their own personal favourite outcome the enemy of a good deal and refuse to vote positively for any of the many solutions put before them. I have voted to leave the EU with the deal on numerous occasions and will continue to do so. Most of my colleagues on the government benches and even some of those who have been critical of the Prime Minister's deal have reached the conclusion that backing the withdrawal agreement is the right thing to do, but still the House has trapped itself in a circle of debates. Citizens of the UK who live across Europe deserve better than this, as do our neighbours who are EU citizens in Worcester. Therefore, securing a deal which protects their rights is the best possible way and is simply the right thing to do, and I will continue to pursue it. But behind the headlines there is so much else going on. In the last week alone, Parliament has debated business rates reform, climate change and the environment, tax rates, employment, compensation for people affected by the Windrush scandal, housing, health and education. I've been able to meet schools ministers to keep up the pressure for fairer funding and make the case for capital investment, capital investment in Worcester schools, welcoming grants to Bishop Perone School and Northwick Manor, as well as visiting the site where they're building their first new primary school in Worcester for decades in Clanes. After the Secretary of State for Health's recent visit to the Worcester Royal Hospital, I was pleased to see him announce a £5.6 million investment in IT and estates at our local hospitals, building on the £29 million capital grant two years ago, and I've been meeting with his ministers to press for more. I've welcomed transport improvements for Worcester too, with an access to all grant to improve the disability access to Shrubhill Station. 
and long-awaited improvements to the Crossroad crossing. I've also been taken up my concerns with Highways England after their announcement of yet another delay to the roadworks on the M5. This week, changes to the national living wage came into force, delivering the biggest boost for the low paid in decades, and tax changes took effect that will raise the income tax threshold to £12,500, leaving more money in the pockets of tens of thousands in Worcester. At a business breakfast last Friday, it was great to be able to talk about a real change of issues. Infrastructure, skills, energy and the environment, as well as Brexit. With City Council elections coming up, I want to work with councillors to protect Worcester's green spaces and deliver affordable homes too. We've all been there, waiting for that parcel or that item of mail that we were expecting but hasn't shown up yet. It's frustrating enough when post you're anticipating shows up a day or two late. So imagine waiting four decades. Bizarrely, that's what seems to have happened at a Worcestershire village shop. After their postie delivered a postcard that was sent from Cornwall all the way back in 1977. Dina Jenks, owner of Blackwell Village Stores, admitted she was gobsmacked when the postcard sent on August the 1st, 1977 from Wadebridge dropped into her lap. She said, For it just to arrive out of the blue like that was just amazing. Thanks to some fine amateur detective work, Dina has sussed out who the intended recipients, dear Ali and Bob, are. But the identity of the senders, Chris and Wendy, remains a mystery at the moment. Dina knew the shop used to belong to the Frizzle farm family, so she quizzed customer Ben Frizzle and found out his grandparents, Terry and Beryl, used to run the store. And Terry's brother, Bob, lived above the shop with his then fiance Alison, Ali. While Bob has died in the years that have elapsed, Ali lives in London, and Dina hopes to get in touch with her so she can forward the postcard on. Dina asked... Sorry, Dina added, it's still a in pristine condition too. It's like it's been waiting for them for 42 years. While the postcard of the beautiful Tintagel and Boss Castle has barely changed since 1977, so much else, of course, has altered. It's a different world. Back then, for example, a Star Wars film was set for cinema release. Liverpool Football Club were challenging for domestic and European glory and a hugely diverse female Prime Minister was in charge of the running of the country. Oh! Anyway, quite how the postcard only reached its destination generations after it was sent is likely to be a puzzle that remains unsolved. But Royal Mail insists it's improbable that it was just lost. A Royal Mail spokesperson said... It's difficult to speculate what may have happened to this item of mail, but it is likely that it was put back into the postal system by someone recently, rather than it being lost or stuck somewhere. Royal Mail regularly checks all its delivery offices and clears its processing machines daily. Once an item is in the postal system, then it will be delivered to the address on the card. Perhaps the reason for the delay is as simple as the big message in bold on the right-hand side of the rectangular missive. Look at the address and you'll realise Chris and Wendy's 
carnal error. They didn't remember to use the postcode. Don't forget that next time you're on holiday. Maybe the most job drawing, sorry, maybe the most jaw dropping thing of all is the price of the postcard stamp, 7p. Last month, the first class stamp rose to 70p. Top accolade for City's University. The University of Worcester is number one in the UK and 26th globally for quality education according to the Times Higher Education. Worcester has also been crowned number one in the UK and joint fourth globally for gender equality in the rankings. Over 500 universities from 80 countries were assessed by THE with Worcester ranked 33rd overall. Factors assessed include promoting good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality and economic growth, reducing inequalities, building sustainable cities and communities and achieving responsible consumption and production. Worcester was ranked 17th globally for responsible consumption and production as in, and is in the top 40 globally for sustainable cities and communities, decent work and economic growth, as well as far for reduced inequalities and climate action. Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive Professor David Green, CBE, said, We are delighted to learn that our work is so highly valued across so many categories. The University of Worcester has long been committed to combining a highly inclusive approach with educational excellence. I am very proud of the way our staff and students continually strive to work in partnership with others to advance educational and social benefit. John Bateman, Chairman of the Governors, said, This is a tremendous achievement for the University and all the staff and students who work so hard. For many years, Worcester has really led the way in thinking about its impact on the world, both in terms of reducing its environmental impact and increasing its beneficial impact in society. And I'm delighted to see this long-term commitment being acknowledged in this way. Mark Stansfeld, chairman of Worcestershire Local Enterprise Partnership, said, The university has been a dynamo of opportunity for our city and a shining example of how universities can have a hugely beneficial impact on community. I am delighted to see the valuable work of the university being recognised in these ratings. A charity is urgently appealing for new volunteers to help isolated older people who live alone in Droitwich Spa. Contact the elderly at UK charity dedicated to tackling loneliness and isolation among older people has been providing monthly social gatherings for the over 75s in Droitwich Spa for over a year. Mandy Butterworth, the group coordinator responsible for organising the tea party, said, I enjoy the group because it gives me the opportunity to spend time in the company of older guests. We talk about their views and experiences and we've all become really good friends. She added, she would love to hear who could spare a Sunday afternoon a month to help out, can get in touch as we'd love to hear from you. Anyone interested in becoming a volunteer for Contact the Elderly, get in touch with the charity by calling 
0800-716-543, which is a free phone, or visiting the website www.contact-the-elderly.org.uk. The corn will be as high as an elephant's eye in Worcester, even though it's only April, thanks to a performance of Oklahoma at the Swan, <coughs> which opens this week. Worcester Operatic and Dramatic Society, or WADS, will bring the famous musical before a local audience, but not for the first time, because WADS has something of a track record with the show. A spokesman said, WADS productions have been a mainstay of the local theatre scene for the past 126 years, and Worcester audiences were previously delighted with WADS production of Oklahoma, which ran in 1956, 1968 and 1980. Often described as Rodgers and Hammerstein's best work, Oklahoma set, is set in America's Oklahoma Territory at the turn of the 20th century. Headstrong farm girl Laurie Williams, who lives on a ranch with her aunt Ella, is being pursued by two romantic rivals, cowboy Curly McLean and hired hand Judd Fry, Laurie's friend. Adu Annie Carnes has her own set of suitors, Persian peddler Ali Hakim, whose silver-tongued sales pitch leaves her swooning, and cowboy Will Parker, her sweet-natured but dim-witted fiancé. The spokesman added, loaded with famous songs such as Oh What a Beautiful Morning, Surrey's with a Fringe on Top, and I Can't Say No, and the title song Oklahoma, this new production of classic show promises a whip-crapping evening of entertainment. As with all WADS productions, a portion of show's raffle proceeds, proceeds will be donated to charity. The chosen charity for Oklahoma is the Good Soil Project, a Worcestershire charity based at Top Barn Farm in Holt Heath. Oklahoma is running all this week until Saturday. For tickets, call 01905 611427 or www.worcesterlive.co.uk. And here's another date for your diaries. In a time when England could barely seem less united, could a concert in Worcester raise rafters and spirits, and all in the name of St George and a feel-good factor. The musical focus will be on nostalgia and visions of the countryside and landscape, as musicians from the faithful city find much to celebrate after all. A spokesman said... If you'd like to escape the news and celebrate all that is good about dear old England, then join Worcester Mail Voice Choir for their St George's Day concert. We will paint a picture of a green and pleasant land, sing of brotherhood and fond memories. We will be joined by soloists from Worcester City Brass, who I'm sure will add to the chorus. So feel free to lend your voice to a land of hope and glory. The concert will be held at St Martin's Church, London Road, from 7pm on Saturday, April the 27th, a few days after St George's Day itself. Tickets are available from eventbrite.co.uk, Worcester Tourist Information at the Guildhall, or on 01905-381-879. And that nearly brings us to the end of uh, this week. Um, the lighting up time is 7.59 to 6.21 a.m. 
Uh, we've got two birthdays, one of which is our reader, Kate, here, who was last Tuesday on the 9th, and the next one is James Bowden on the 12th. We wish uh, wish James all the very best, and uh, Kate had a very nice birthday, apparently. Um, if we could remind the readers that because of Easter next weekend, post won't be collected on Friday as usual, and because of the bank holiday on Monday, you will probably get your deliveries uh, Tuesday or Wednesday after Easter. So many apologies for the delay on that. Um, the winning post charity golf day at Budley Pines Golf Day on Wednesday, the 22nd of May. Um, we're letting you know that this will be the 16th annual charity golf day at Budley's Pines Golf Club. Um, friends of the fa- sorry, friends or family of our listeners who are interested in taking part should contact Jim McKeever on 07710-600396 or the Winnings Post Direct on 01905-21178 for details on how to enter or for sponsorship opportunities. If you'd like to donate a gift for their prize draw, please contact Jim McKeever as soon as possible so that it may be included in the full list of prizes in the Golf Day information. And there are um, the reason for reading this is that in the next few weeks, we have been nominated as their charity of the year. So any donations are very welcome. Um, And that leaves me just to let you know that emergency phone numbers for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6 till 8 is 0300-123-3211. And the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number is 01684-892277. Worcester Live 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. The Worcester Hub number for Council Matters is 765-765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers telephone number is 0800-555-111. Our phone number is 01905-767766. And our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. And if we can also let you know that the um, obituaries will be after the music. The thought for the day, weekend, um, sorry, Luke 23 verses 32 to 35 Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. And now for the obituaries. Donald John Fern passed away on March the 27th, age 76. The funeral service 
will be at Worcester Crematorium on April the 16th at 11.30am. Neil Patrick Greenleys passed away on April the 2nd, age 48. The funeral service is at Solwerp Church on April the 26th at 12pm. Philip Mapp, Mapp passed away peacefully on April the 1st. Funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 18th at 1.45. Cynthia Woodyatt passed away peacefully at St. Richard's Hospice on the 30th of March, aged 74. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 18th at 1pm. Audrey Penson passed away on March the 23rd, aged 97. Services at Worcester Crematorium on April the 16th at 1.45. Christopher Riley, known as Chris, passed away on March the 20th, aged 88. Funeral services at St Mary's Church in Kemsey on April the 11th at 1pm. Walter Harold Jones, known as Wally, also known as John, passed away peacefully on March the 30th, aged 100. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 17th at 2.30. Paul Anthony Sabota of Tiburton died on March the 20th in Dubai, aged 50. The funeral service is at Tiburton Church on April the 16th at 2pm. Olive Lillian Thomine passed away on April the 3rd, aged 90. The service is at St. Oswald's Church on April the 17th at 12. Peter Ernest Randall passed away peacefully in hospital on March the 25th, aged 74. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on April the 18th at 12.15. Our thoughts are with the families um, of the deceased.